Welcome to the So We Speak podcast. This is Terry Fakes, and once again, my partner Cole is traveling out of town. And so today I'd like to queue up a discussion that he and I would like to have together in the near future. To tee this up, I want to talk about one of the Democratic uh, fresh faces, one of the phenomena of the 2020 election campaign, and that is Mayor Pete Buttigieg. By all accounts, Pete Buttigieg is uh, a fascinating individual, just somebody that I would certainly like to talk to. I'm sure you would, too. He has been the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, for uh, a number of years. He is a Harvard graduate. He is a Rhodes Scholar. He speaks several languages, and he did, as a Naval Reserve officer, a tour in Afghanistan. And now he's running for the Democratic nomination for president. By all accounts, a fascinating individual. The second thing that's interesting about him in this context is how he's choosing to run his campaign. There aren't that many lanes for all the crowded field of the Democratic primaries, and it's interesting to see how Mayor Pete has staked out uh, a spot where hopefully he can get some oxygen in, uh, in this conversation. But my discussion today isn't going to dive into Pete Buttigieg, the individual, as fascinating as that would be, nor into Pete Buttigieg, the politician, as interesting as that would be. I'd really like to use this opportunity, as the media is doing, to explore the LGBTQ community from within Christianity. You see, Mayor Pete is gay. He is married to his husband, Chaston and he is a Christian. He speaks quite a bit about that on the campaign trail, and the media has used this opportunity, and I don't blame them at all. I think it's probably a timely topic, and what better opportunity than this to speak about it, and that is the intersection of LGBTQ issues from within Christianity, not from without. Since Mayor Pete uh, is a Christian, claims to be a Christian, it brings up the issue of how will Christians, how have Christians accepted LGBTQ claims. I'd like to look at some recent articles on that topic to kind of survey how the media is covering it. What I'd really like to do is get underneath those articles just a little bit and expose some of the assumptions behind the narratives and the claims that are being made. It is not my intention to rebut these claims in this podcast. I don't intend to go into the science of the LGBTQ issue in detail. Again, we will do that in the future. Nor do I really intend to go into the biblical Uh, issues surrounding LGBTQ issues in this particular podcast. I think to lay the groundwork, really you need to get past the rhetoric a little bit and see what are some of the essential claims that are being made. I think this will help uh, orient us as we move forward in this discussion. So let me start first with uh, a podcast by Al Mohler, the conservative evangelical uh, writer, speaker, The briefing on April 26, 2019, Al Mohler devoted a great deal of time speaking about Pete Buttigieg and his Christian faith. There's one quote that I think is insightful from Al Mohler in this podcast. There are obviously probably a lot of things that are insightful, but I think you'll really appreciate this quote. He gets to the heart of the matter when he says this, I don't question his sincerity, 
I question the validity of his faith. I don't question his sincerity. I question the validity of his faith. Now, Mueller's completely respectful in this podcast. He's not attacking. He's not building straw men. He just makes an interesting observation. He wants to draw the line between the sincerity of someone's faith and the validity of someone's faith. Because one of the underlying issues in most of the discussions and narrative is that sincerity and experience are evidence of truth. You've experienced this before. When you hear stories of people who've been treated badly by the church for many reasons, but in this particular issue, uh, people who have experienced same-sex attraction, same-sex orientation, and are struggling with that, and have really found little solace, little help in the church, it brings about, and should bring about, a great deal of sympathy on our part, that this should not be so. We should be more compassionate in situations like that. And so, when we hear those stories, what Moeller wants to say is they may very well evoke compassion, but they don't necessarily provide any evidence of the validity of the various positions people might or might not take on the issue. Let me give you an example of this, and at the risk of being accused of making some kind of equivalency here between Mayor Pete and Al-Qaeda, which is certainly not my intention, I simply want to make this strong point. I do not doubt the sincerity of someone who will strap on an explosive vest and kill themselves or others. I think that's evil, but I certainly do not doubt their sincerity. I have major condemnation and major questions about the validity of their faith. Well, again, there's no equivalency here between any LGBTQ Christian or Mayor Pete and Al-Qaeda, but my point is simply this. Don't miss this point. The point is none of us believe that sincerity alone validates our beliefs. I used an extreme example simply to make the point that it is evident that none of us would make that generic statement. However, that's typically the way a lot of these stories are pitched. And I think we just need to strip that back and get to the bedrock and ask ourselves, is the sincerity of our faith, does it validate our faith? Moeller makes the great point that those are two separate things. Moeller points out also that Mayor Pete, for example, he's doing a great job right now of trying to be a vision caster. He's received a lot of uh, criticism on the liberal side, really, for not being specific enough. I mean, in the 2020 Democratic uh, field, there's just sort of like a new wild claim every day. Pete Buttigieg is not doing that. Pete Buttigieg is trying to be inspiring. And he's taking a little uh, heat for that. But I appreciate his approach. That's the lane he's trying to carve out. But if you look at his record, as Moeller points out, he is in favor of late-term abortions. He's in favor of basically the suite of most of the really liberal or really progressive, depending on the terminology you prefer, uh, ideas. The question then comes, is that compatible with a Christian faith? Well, obviously, Mayor Pete believes that it is, and I think that's worth some study. And Al Moeller believes that there are issues there in that area. But the first thing I wanted to point out is the idea of sincerity and experience evoking emotion in us can sometimes be used to be evidence of truth. And Moeller makes a great point that that's not necessarily so. The second point that seems to underlie a number of these, and Moeller makes this point, is that all readings of the Bible are equally valid. 
I don't think anyone says that, but if you listen for just a moment, what you're getting is this postmodern idea of truth with a little T, and that is, well, that's the way you read the Bible, but it's not the way I read the Bible. And my reading of the Bible, in whatever manner I choose to read it, with whatever criteria, is equally valid to your reading of the Bible. Now, again, I simply want to point out that these are some of the underlying assumptions that don't get brought out in this discussion, but they're very real underpinnings of what's happening in this dialogue. And I think that's probably why we're having such a difficult partisan time sometimes in this dialogue, is simply because we know we don't agree with what's happening, but we don't know why. And part of the reason is there are subtle claims being made One of them is sincerity and experience are evidence of truth. Another is that all readings of the Bible are equally valid. Well, once again, this is not something that the average person in general would agree with. Let me assure you that the bank that holds your mortgage does not believe that all readings of your mortgage are equally valid. Any contract that you enter into, I can assure you that it is not a tenet that all readings of that contract are equally valid. In other words, I'm simply, I'm not trying to argue the issue. I'm simply trying to identify some of the underlying issues. These are are statements, these are propositions or underlying assumptions, if you will, that really very few people agree with these in a broad sense. And I think if we can pair this discussion back to some of the assumptions that are being slipped in under the radar, if you will, that we might have a little more productive conversation. Well, let me move on to a piece in the Wall Street Journal opinion section on April 26, 2019 by Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson speaks about uh, Mayor Pete's uh, tenure in South Bend, Indiana, and uh, Mike Pence, who was governor of Indiana during much of that time. The two have had a great working relationship by all accounts. Mike Pence has said very favorable things about Mayor Pete, with whom, of course, he disagrees politically, but has really held back in discussing that. Mayor Pete, however, said something interesting using, according to the Wall Street Journal opinion writer, and it seems pretty clear, uh, using Mike Pence as a foil, if you will. He said, uh, and this is close to a quote, he said, Sir, if you have a problem with me, you should take it up with my creator. Uh, First of all, I'm not aware that Mike Pence indicated he had any problem with Mayor Pete, but it was a pretty shrewd political move because what he's staking out is he's saying, look, if you on the conservative political side have a problem with my being gay and with my being Christian, I want to level the moral playing ground here by saying this is the way I was created. So it's a pretty clever move on his part. What What underlies this is simply this statement, and that is, that my sexuality is part of my created nature. In other words, I was created like this. My sexual orientation is part of my created nation, nature. By God, in this case, and we're talking about Christians, therefore, it is God-given, it is good, and I should live it out. In other words, it's the idea of being authentic. If God created me to have a same-sex orientation, then that is a good thing, and I should live out my same-sex orientation. Let me make a couple of comments about this. I simply want to comment on this assertion, because this is the underlying assertion. For any Christian, LGBTQ individual, lesbian, gay, transgender, etc., 
if you are making this argument, what you're really saying is, is that however I am made is God made, it is good, and I should live true to that nature that he has given to me. Well, first of all, I simply want to point out this. That is not a scientific statement. It may seem like an obvious issue to you, but that is not a scientific statement. What I mean is, the first part of it is that my sexual orientation is something I was born with. That may or may not be a scientific issue, and I really don't want to get into that here, although we will in a future podcast, what is the science behind it. But frankly, it's irrelevant to me. If you assume that that is the case, let us assume then this is, quote, the way I was born, quote, my God-given nature. It is not a scientifically uh, reasonable conclusion to draw then saying, therefore, it is good and I should live in accordance with that nature. That goes well beyond what science can say. It goes from a, uh, at least a scientifically testable statement, I was born like this, which again, I really have no uh, dispute with that in this conversation. I simply want to say that science then cannot move to the ought, to the moral ought. In other words, since this is true, then I ought to do that. That goes beyond what science has to say. My second point is, this is not a biblical statement or a biblical proposition. God made me this way, therefore I ought to live out my life in a consistent way with that nature. In fact, the entirety of Christian history and the entirety of the Bible testifies to man's fallen nature, to what's translated sometimes as our flesh or our sinful nature. It's uh, really difficult to find any version of Christianity that won't at least acknowledge that in our fallen nature, we are all bent toward sin. Therefore, my only comment here is not to try to rebut it or argue with it, but simply to say this statement is also not a biblical statement. It's not relying on the Bible for its truth. And so the question of this is the way I was made, therefore I ought to live out, is a statement that deserves some support. It's not one that typically gets any support. What we typically get in this situation, and I understand that, is simply an emotional appeal. This is the way I was made, therefore don't you feel like it's right that I can live in accordance with my nature. Again, that's not a scientific statement. It's not a biblical statement. And it's probably one that you would expect is not prima facie evident to everyone. In fact, to most people, there are certainly things that are in people's nature in our society that we do not agree you should live that out. I'm not necessarily trying to argue and say this is on a par with that. I'm simply saying this statement is not evident on its face, deserves some uh, support. Third article, from the New York Times, this is April 17th, 2019, Stephen Polikas, I may be mispronouncing his name, is an Episcopal priest. He's gay. He wrote an article called Mayor Pete and the Queering of the American Soul. Mayor Pete and the Queering of the American Soul. He made a number of interesting points in this. I appreciate the article. He certainly uh, makes this dichotomy in the church, which may be true in some churches. It may have been historically true in many churches. And if so, I do not think that's something that uh, we want to embrace. He said he felt that he either had to deny who he was. Are you hearing again that this is the way God made me, so I therefore must live in uh, consistency with that? 
he either had to deny who he was or be excluded from the community of faith. Now, I would argue that may be a false dichotomy because there's certainly more choices than those two. Either live out your sexual orientation true to the orientation or you, quote, cannot be a Christian, you cannot be part of the community of faith. I don't know that those are the only two choices in that environment, but I certainly understand that that's the way this gets framed a lot of times. One of the most striking things to me that Polikas points out in this is that in a recent Pew study of LGBTQ adults, so this is a study of people who identify as either lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, etc., 50%, just over 50% of them, claim that they have a religious affiliation. Now, in one sense, that's not surprising to me because I think everyone has, quote, a God-shaped hole inside them, and they are looking for the greater meaning of life. And so it would not surprise me that fill in the blank. It doesn't have to be LGBTQ. Put anything you want in that blank about human beings, and I would say, yes, there are always going to be a great percentage who are longing for that. But what is surprising here is that 50% claim a religious affiliation, meaning they have found a welcoming environment, perhaps, an environment where they can at least meet some of the needs of their soul to be engaged with the Almighty. And uh, even if it isn't, quote, living in the fullness of the person God created me to be. So I found that uh, the underlying assumption, this is the way God created me, I should live it out. We've spoken about that. But I did find it interesting that I don't think the church can afford to ignore this issue and say, if you are LGBTQ, then to presume you have no need of Jesus Christ. And that's a little harsh, but basically every one of us has a need for Jesus Christ. The idea of... uh, Sexuality being part of our created nature, and that being a go or no-go as to whether I could experience Christian community, in my view, is not a dichotomy. There's an awful lot of room to be biblically faithful and experience community. Let me just say this and be honest, and I think we'd all be honest about this, that the church has not given more than those two options at times, and that is the fault of the church. Fourth, There is an article from 2016, I'm going back a little bit, May 28, 2016, The Gospel Coalition, by Sam Alberry. Sam Alberry is a gay man who is a Christian pastor who is celibate, who believes that his sexual orientation does not determine his identity. In fact, I'd recommend his books to you simply because you're getting a firsthand account of someone who sees uh, the Bible in an orthodox way and reconciles it harmoniously with his uh, LGBTQ orientation. He makes a, a point in this article calling it, You Are Not Your Sexuality. And he makes a couple of interesting points. The first is in the title, is that are we going to be defined in Christ by our sexuality? In other words, he rebuts, in a sense, he's going to disagree with the statement, God made me this way, I should live it out. He's going to say, wait a minute, that's a non sequitur. And he's right. And that is the first part of that statement does not logically support the second part of that statement. And he's going to say, in fact, I'm going to show you another way to go besides the false dichotomy of be who I am or be rejected by the church. 
he's going to talk about a biblically faithful way to live. At least, and my point here is not to be rebutting, but simply to say there are more options and there are more voices to be heard. But probably the greatest insight he made in that article, it's stuck with me for a couple of years now, is this, that the LGBTQ story is a narrative. I think you can see that from what I just talked about. Did I talk to you about a lot of science? No. Did I talk to you about a lot of biblical scripture being quoted? No. We will talk about those things in a future podcast because there's some very interesting uh, points to be made. But basically, the underlying ideas behind all of these articles and the phenomenon that uh, Pete Buttigieg has brought to the forefront of our attention is it's a narrative. It's an emotionally engaging narrative about people. Sam Alberry suggests that responding to that narrative with propositions is not likely to be very effective. And here's what I mean, and I think here's what he means, is you have the story of people who have had a same-sex orientation, who have then met with people who bombard them with truth propositions from the Bible. That doesn't make the propositions untrue. It simply may not be the most effective way to engage people in that situation. And I think that's what Sam Alberry is saying, is not to deny the truth of the scriptures, but to ask what is the method that is the best way to engage in meaningful dialogue. Well, I think you can tell from this podcast that my answer, or one of my answers to that question is, let's not talk about the story as much as what's underlying the story. What are the things you are not speaking, but that you are speaking? Assumptions like, all readings of the Bible are equally valid. That sincerity and experience are evidence of truth. That sexuality is part of your created nature, and in fact, sometimes the controlling part, the identity of your nature, and therefore it is good, and therefore it should be lived out. And then there's one final thing that underlies that I think is very insidious, and that is Mayor Pete and others like him frame, and perhaps legitimately, sincerely see, conservative and liberal Christianity as being inalterably linked with conservative and liberal political ideologies. And he makes a good point there in that we have sometimes over-identified our faith with either a conservative or a progressive liberal, uh, excuse me, political ideology. And in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. Our political ideologies should be subservient to our faith the truths that we believe God is revealing to us. But once we allow this to be framed, that my faith is the slave of the Republican Party or my faith is subservient to the Democratic Party, we've now moved out of a faith discussion and identified it with something that's going to be a polarizing political discussion. Sometimes you'll see statements, narratives framed in that way. My contention is we will have very little real effect on either side by arguing with each other about our particular narratives. But if we can understand the statements we are making that underlie them, we should be able to come to an agreement on many of these things. As I pointed out to you, most of these things, if you frame them this way, the average person would say, well, that's not necessarily true. In which case, now you have the opportunity to have a discussion. In future podcasts, really like to talk about the biblical basis and how do Christians 
who are LGBTQ, claim that the Bible supports that lifestyle. There are actually several different approaches to this, and Cole and I'll talk about that. Secondly, in what sense is the biblical text authoritative? What does it mean for the biblical text to be inspired? Is it culturally situated in time, or is it true for all cultures and all times? That's another significant issue in this discussion. And finally, let me leave you with this one thought. As we get into this discussion, and I think it's a discussion that needs to be had, I appreciate the press coverage, uh, some good, some bad, but nonetheless an issue that needs to be discussed, it's easy to think about us and them, and I mean that from whichever side you happen to be on. So, for example, if you are a conservative Christian who holds to traditional Orthodox Christianity, you may say they, the LGBTQ lobby, are trying to do this. Well, that's undoubtedly true for some people. There certainly are militant people that are trying to, for whatever motives, power, pride, whatever, are trying to win a war. But let us not lose sight of the tremendous number of people who have found themselves experiencing gender dysphoria or a same-sex attraction, a same-sex orientation, and trying to come to grips with that. Not everyone is on, quote, the other side. And I'd flip sides here, and I would say, if you are an LGBTQ person of faith, there are people, quote, on the other side who simply would like to bludgeon you into submission with certain truth statements from the Bible. But I believe there are far more people who actually care about you and who would like to have a discussion so that we might, as God says in Isaiah chapter 1, come, let us reason together. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.